High end over end variety. And Amani from his 45. He's got a lane. And he's got speed. Look out. Beep, beep. The Ducks are in the end zone. Touchdown. This is the Duck Pod from the Register Guard Newsroom. Gordon head to head for sure. Mitchell goes in motion. They hand it off. Oregon sports beat writers Ryan Thorburn and Steve Mims. All right, welcome to the Duck Pod. Ryan Thorburn here with Steve Mims. Steve, it's Washington State week, but I think we'd be remiss if we didn't look back at what was a great victory for the Ducks last weekend in Seattle, 35-31 at Husky Stadium. The Ducks uh, trailed this game by 14 in the second half, and it was looking like a another road fail although against a really good team this time, or a decent team. But uh, really a breakthrough win for Oregon on the road to take complete control of the North Division. Yeah, I think that's the game that sort of answers most of the questions people had about the Ducks. You know, the the early season after the loss to Auburn, the schedule was was pretty soft non-conference and even opening you know even though Cal was ranked at the time you kind of looked and thought well Cal and Colorado and Stanford none of those teams look really good what's Oregon got and and even though Washington's now got three losses and maybe it doesn't look like a traditional Washington team I think it's a pretty good team I think it's a team that played pretty well that day I thought Eason looked good and Ahmad was running well and and you know Oregon was down 14 late in the third and you know, a, a team that really hadn't had a come-from-behind victory really in, in recent memory and much less from two touchdowns down. And, and to kind of do that and to do it on the road and to, you know, get two touchdown drives when they really had to and the defense got some stops when they had to, I I just think that's the one that kind of, if you're wondering if, if Oregon's for real, I, I think, if, or if you think Oregon's for real, I, I think that's the game that, that maybe cements your opinion on that. Do you credit – I tend to credit Eason and Chris Peterson and their offense for just playing really well more than uh, Andy Avalos having a, an off day. But is there any concern now with Oregon's defense, you know, giving up 31 points to, you know, a Washington team that's inconsistent on offense? Yeah, I think you could say that. I mean, somebody asked Andy Avalos yesterday, was that the worst performance from the defense? And he said, well, I don't think you could say anything else. Yeah, that was the worst performance. But there were some missed tackles. Certainly it seemed like Ahmed was able to get into the secondary before he got touched on a few. You know, Eason was good, but, I, you know, you know, I didn't think he really picked Oregon apart by any means. I think it was more just kind of the run game, and it just felt like there were times when Washington was able to go eight yards at a time, eight yards, 12 yards. But like you said, those last three drives when basically even a field goal for well, and I guess not a field goal, but a, you know, if Washington kind of takes more time off the clock or, or gets in the end zone on one of those, they can almost put Oregon away, and the defense comes up three straight times, including that last one, which I kind of forgot until looking at them. I mean, Oregon was – or Washington was at the – Oregon 35 with a fourth and two. I mean, it wasn't that far from completing a pass and having a minute left to, you know, have four shots at the end zone. Yeah, and Mikhail Wright was on the field for that um, the week before, Veron McKinley. So the secondary has some impressive depth. You were out at practice for the injury updates. It sounds like Diamador Lenore is going to be back, and they're going to need uh, all the defensive backs back to, to face the air raid. Yeah, definitely. You're going to see those. Yeah, Lenore, they said, is – basically been being ramped up in practice we don't know exactly what happened to him but but their indication is that he's going to be ready to go on that day 
Graham did make some mention that he may be over on the boundary side again a little bit. You know, they may kind of move some things around, um, you know, just because, like you say, when, you know, Washington State's going to come out here and they're going to try to isolate as many receivers as they can on DBs. I mean, that's Leach's thing. He sends four receivers out there and tries to isolate your coverage. So, yeah, you're going to see McKinley, and I think you'll see some of Wright and you'll see some of James, and both those guys got pretty good reviews. James gave up a touchdown in the game, but Wright and Nicky Manson on the last play came in there and, and broke it up. Um, so I, I do think you're going to see their depth at, at the secondary tested by a system that, quite frankly, nobody on this team has beaten before. Yeah, and these games are really frustrating for defensive linemen because by the time you get, get into your rush, mm-hmm. the ball's released. How do you see kind of Kayvon Thibodeau and some of these guys trying to defend the air raid for the first time um, against uh, you know an offense that has beaten Oregon defenses the last four years? Yeah, and Thibodeau's a guy we've seen be able to get down the field and make some tackles. You know, I mean, it's not a you know a slog on the line who's going to you know once the ball's past the line of scrimmage, he's just going to sit and watch it. I mean, some of these passes they'll make too are you know basically glorified runs. They're just kind of throwing some screens out to the running backs and stuff, or throw some things. But I think Thibodeau can be kind of a guy that you know if he's you know on, on a pass play, he can drop back a little bit in coverage if they think it's going to be a quick pass before he can get to the quarterback, or even if he makes the rush and it's a throw to a you know to a running back on the side or something, he may try to track him down. It'll be interesting to see how. Sorry, I'm kind of dealing with uh, <laughs> fall weather. Yeah, I mean, my kids are in school and now they're torturing <laughs> me with different bugs and whatnot. But um, it'll be interesting to see how Troy Dye plays the rest of his senior year with a broken thumb. Yeah, uh, certainly. He's a great player. Obviously, he's not going to miss games because of a broken thumb because he's a old school throwback football player. But that'll be interesting. I, you know. He might not have another interception, but I imagine he'll still rack up a lot of tackles. Yeah, I asked both Avalos and Cristobal about that yesterday, and basically the line was in practice you manage him a little bit, and let's face it, Troy Dye doesn't need a whole lot of practice out there. He's been through this before, so I think they're going to limit him in practice, make sure he doesn't you know, knock that thing into a helmet somewhere or something and do more damage to it. And Cristobal said during games, you know, you just kind of got to, if you're the player, you got to ignore it. And a guy like him who's played so much, you just kind of go by instinct. And you probably know in your head that, hey, I better kind of adjust something here so I don't bang it on a helmet or bang it on a pad or something like this and that. But yeah, their thought is that he's going to be full go as is, and he'll just kind of do what he needs to in the, in the midst of the game kind of internally to make sure and instinctively make sure that uh, he doesn't do any further damage to it. But he came back in and played the rest of that game. You'd think it's only going to get better after a week. I thought Justin Herbert has had some some really good performances over the years. Uh, his freshman year at Cal, he put up wild numbers and a mm-hmm. loss. Um, he's put five touchdowns on people. He's looked great at times. But Washington, given the circumstances, that was by far, in my opinion, his best performance uh, what do you think of Justin Herbert walking off Husky out of Husky Stadium with that win? Yeah, and like I say, he, you know, his two come from behind wins. There was the one as a freshman against Utah that you know no, nobody cared at the end. It was a win over, road win over a ranked team, but uh, ended up with a four and eight team. Last year, the Red Box Bowl was pretty forgettable. That that come from behind seven to six wins. So this was the first time we'd seen him. You know, I mean, there's 16 minutes to go in the game. He's down by two touchdowns. He's you know, got to got to bring a couple drives down, and, and he did so both times. And so I, I think that was sort of as I wrote about his signature moment, overcoming a fourteen point deficit. Uh, you know, it was kind of the the hey, you know, look at Justin Herbert. Yeah, he's not just the guy who's putting up the numbers, and you know, can lead seems some blowout wins. He was able to kind of get that team together and, and come back in a 
in really a short time frame to be able to win it. So, and it was a game almost like Nevada where he threw, he just missed a lot of early ones. It seemed like he would, you know, twice he had Pittman over the middle and threw short and seemed like he was on the wrong foot at times. It just kind of, you, you watched the first quarter and thought maybe he's off a little bit today, but that's the second or third time this year, at least, that we've seen where he struggled early on. And then once it gets going, really gets going, which which is a good thing to have. I mean, you can see some guys who struggle early and then all of a sudden you wonder if, if it's in their head and they're going to get back to it. But, but certainly... We know that his head's got some some brain power, and it doesn't seem to be be uh, disturbed too much by things like that. Yeah, and we all wondered, you know, Jacob Breeland going down the week before against Colorado with a season season ending injury. His favorite target, obviously, um, from their his very first game at Washington State, he hit a big one to Breeland to kind of have one highlight in that mm-hmm. ugly night in Pullman, um, but. He spread it around nicely. I think you can't say one guy is the, the guy now, but Jalen Red certainly gets it done in the red zone. You can uh, rename it the R-E-D-D zone now. <laughs> um, Johnny Johnson's made a lot of really good catches, not in the end zone, but just to move the chains, you know, in traffic, getting hit. And uh, Micah Pittman is going to be an emerging star down the stretch, I think. Yeah, I do still have some concerns just about the tight end position because we haven't seen, you know, last week Bay and Camp Moyer, the two basically starters of that position, didn't catch a pass. Webb came in and we saw a catch one. So, I mean, Bay and Breeland, or Bay and Camp Moyer are more blockers anyway, and you just think they've got to still find a guy who can do Breeland's role, which was kind of being a wide receiver in that spot and kind of being able to go down the middle and, and run the sideline. Now, Webb seems like that guy. Um, but we just haven't, you know, they they moved him back there. Now talking about him maybe going back to wide receiver or schooler being gone. We didn't see Patrick Herbert. There was talk maybe, hey, they pulled a red shirt off and kind of get him in the rest of the way. They certainly didn't feel comfortable enough with him yet against Washington. So there's still question, you know, do they want to get him out there who's more of a pest catch and tight end as well. So I still think there's concerns and questions at tight end if if they can go with just kind of the, the more block first guys or if they need to try to get some of the younger guys in there who can give them more passing options. Yeah, you touched on it. The kind of the news of the midweek here is Brendan Schooler entering the NCAA transfer portal. Certainly a surprise to me. I mean, you're talking about a senior who's very close with Justin Herbert. Obviously, he was dealing with the foot injury, which caused him to miss the first four games. But, you know, if you do the math, he had already played in three games, had a big catch at Washington, uh, five regular season games left. Pac-12 mm-hmm. championship game, bowl game. He, he could have played in 10 games this yeah. season and put down on film whatever he needed to, but kind of a curious decision. I don't get it, but you don't know what's in his head. We haven't talked to him yet. Maybe he uh, really wants to enroll in a grad program somewhere else and use his eligibility for that, or you know, perhaps he wants to play with his brother who's a, a star linebacker at Arizona. Maybe you know he's just not in a hurry to move on. Yeah, it was interesting. You know, we keep hearing about unintended consequences of the four-game redshirt rule, and we saw it at Houston this year when suddenly Dana Hilgerson looked and said, wow, we might be pretty good next year. I'm going to make all these guys sit out the rest of this season after they played three or four games. Um, and it seems a little bit of that here. I mean, I can vividly remember seeing Brendan Schooler on the field at the end of the Husky game, waving a towel, shaking 
his hand hugging his teammates and really overjoyed. And, and I look back now, I just can't imagine that he was there in that moment thinking, this is my final game at Oregon. I mean, it just wasn't that kind of a feeling. It just almost feels like at some point, Sunday, Monday, the, the, you know, somebody put into his head, hey, by the way, you got one more game to decide if you want to do something different next year. So it, it's surprising, surprising. You know, the other thing is when he left at the beginning of the year, all we heard was, you know, yeah, you know, he's a good receiver, but the leadership is really what you're losing. And we need this leader at receiver. And you mentioned he's a friend of Herbert's and it's just sort of a weird time it seems like for a guy who you know on a season that looks like it's going to end probably in a Pac-12 title game and possibly in the Rose Bowl and for a guy who came in and was on that horrible defense and you know the four and eight season for him to not want to kind of go out and finish it up the turnaround with these guys and maybe walk off at Pasadena and go into the into the, into the sunset that way is is a surprise I me mean, like you say I mean certainly he wants to play another year hey more power to him that rules there but just really weird to see in you know somebody on a team that's going you know most of these guys we see that pull their year on teams going nowhere it's kind of the first time I can think of a you know I can't think of anybody else who's really a contributing member of a team that's technically still in the college football playoff race that walked off in the middle yeah it's 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 bizarre to me but uh you know we'll see what happens maybe he does have a good reason maybe that foot just doesn't feel right um and he figures Justin will be gone next year so I'll grad transfer and Mm -hmm. and find a, a good quarterback somewhere else so curious there um Before we get into uh, Washington State, let's take our first commercial break. Hi there, it's Les Schwab Tires. You know, we've been helping keep folks safe on the road around here since 1952. That's why you can save up to $152 on a set of four select light truck and SUV tires during our fall tire sale. So swing by or book an appointment at LesSchwab.com. Les Schwab Tires, doing the right thing since 1952. Limited time offer while supplies last. Discount depends on tire size and type. Cannot be combined with other offers. Details at LesSchwab.com. All right, Steve, uh, Oregon hosting Washington State this Saturday, late one at Autzen. We will get into that in a little bit, but let's look uh, around the Pac-12 a little bit. Friday night, you have Oregon's next opponent, USC at Colorado in Boulder. Uh, The Trojans are 13.5-point favorites, but dealing with a lot of injuries. What do you make of USC in Boulder? Yeah, I think USC feels to me like maybe they're gearing up a little bit here. You know, Oregon's the week ahead. This game could be a big impact on Oregon. If USC loses this game, maybe they cash it in and realize, you know, they're out of it. But if they win this game, they're still tied for first and they have the tiebreaker in the south. And if you're Clay Helton, you're thinking, man, can they really fire me if I win the Pac-12 title? So he's going to have those guys ready to go as long as they stay up there in first. Like I say, I think this could be kind of a bellwether for the Oregon game. If USC wins this game and comes in in first place going home knowing that they've got Oregon I think that could be a tough USC team to face whereas if it's a team coming off a loss to Colorado that suddenly questioned itself that might be an easier option for Oregon yeah I see Colorado jumping out early in this game maybe being up 10-0 crowd going nuts but what we've seen the last two weeks with their secondary against Oregon and Washington State I think it's only a matter of time before USC outscores them in that game so um, that would set up a big one in Los Angeles as you mentioned Arizona and Stanford two teams that are disappointing frankly and probably battling this one out for uh, the Red Box Bowl or lower <laughs> if there's lower than the Red Box Bowl uh, this is a pick Arizona at Stanford yeah, Stanford's had but they started three quarterbacks this year. Arizona might be benching Khalil Tate and going to 
Grant Gannell. So basically, two coaches don't really seem to know what they're what they have or what they're going to get at quarterback. Um, this one could be one of those uh, one of those thirteen seven slugfests, or maybe more of a slogfest. But uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think this is. I don't know the time of this game. I'm I'm assuming this has to be the eleven thirty Pac twelve Network because I don't think anybody once games get really going in the afternoon is going to want to watch this one. Yeah, I think it's it is twelve thirty. I think maybe eleven thirty, but it's definitely a day game. Um, so, uh, yeah, let's pass on that one. Um, Arizona State coming off uh, a loss at Utah, 21-3. Now they go to UCLA, which uh, beat Stanford. So uh, Arizona State is minus 3.5. Is there any way Chip Kelly makes a late push for the Cheez-It Bowl? <laughs> that seems like a low number to me, though, I. Eh? I guess maybe Chip's got people buying in, or you know, I, I was kind of buying into ASU heading into last week, and then their offense couldn't do anything. Um, you know, this feels like I, I I see UCLA struggling to score against ASU, but I'm not sure ASU scores a lot. Either. This again, probably a low score. When I like ASU, I I think they'd cover the three and a half. I'd probably have it at like 27, 17, something like that. But I don't see Herm losing this one. Herm's Herm's a guy that you know, even that team kind of a tough loss. He's a guy, a guy who can motivate him to get right back. And they're only one game out of first now, um, so I, I think he'll have them. I think he'll have them ready to to hold off Chip. Yeah, and I know everyone listening to this podcast, or most of you, uh, love Justin Herbert. But who knew Chase Garbers was the most valuable player <laughs> in the Pac-12 this year? Cal at Utah, the Utes, twenty-one and a half point favorites. Yeah amazing that Cal was ranked 15th in the country just a month ago and you mentioned Garbers goes down and the Devin Modster experiment hasn't gone well I I think you know it's the what the law you look at Oregon Oregon State loses to 45 to Utah and then beats Cal so suddenly you sit there and say maybe the line should be bigger but um, yeah you know we've seen Utah I mean usually you're kind of used to Utah having kind of this defense that wins it but their offense been a lot better Huntley's hurt be interesting to see if Huntley plays uh, if Tyler Huntley doesn't play, I, I think that 21 is probably a pretty safe number. I would think Cal can kind of keep that thing down to 20 to 10 or something. But I tell you, the Bears just, they have no chance to score more than two touchdowns. I don't think, in, you know, their current losing streak, they haven't given up more than 21 in a game, I don't think. But they can't score more than about 16. So this feels like, you know, 30 to 14 or something like that for Utah. So uh, the Beavers must have a bye. I don't see them listed here. Beavers are on a bye, and then they what got you, Arizona. What do you think about the second-place Oregon State Beavers in the North Division? Yeah, it's setting up for the uh, the Civil War for the North, you know. If, uh, the Beavers come, you know, come back and they get Arizona next, I think. I mean, there could be a situation where – you know, they, they hang around this thing a little bit longer than anybody else expects. Eventually, I think, you know, they still got Washington on the schedule. They got Oregon. I mean, they're going to end up struggling to try to get bowl eligible. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen this year. But, you know, they put themselves into a, into a position, you know, when, when they lost that Hawaii game and you thought, man, that or that Stanford game, and you thought, boy, there's some games that for them to get bowl eligible, they're going to have to get those. And you wonder if those were kind of deflators and they were going to have another two-win season. Well, props to them for picking up a couple of, a couple of Pac-12 wins. I do not see a scenario where Oregon doesn't win the North, so let's talk about the South a little bit more. You mentioned USC as the tiebreaker on Utah. Utah, after this weekend, goes to Washington, an angry Washington that will have a bye. Uh, how do you see that between those two? I, I don't see Arizona State getting it, but then again, um, USC and does play Oregon, and as I mentioned, Utah plays at Washington. So the, their roads are, are both difficult. Maybe the Sun Devils could sneak back in there, but um, having that tiebreaker is really interesting to me. Utah 
probably should have uh, went unscathed this year with the team they have, but they've left the door open for the Trojans. Yeah, all we keep hearing about is this Oregon-Utah Pac-12 championship game because the teams are ranked 11th and 12th, but nobody seems to mention the fact that if that championship game were held today, it would be Oregon and USC. Um, you know, USC is unranked. Like I said, nobody's paying much attention to them. It's just sort of, you know, waiting for Clay Hilton's season to end to see which big name they try to go out and get. But it, as that's happened, like I say, USC keeps itself in it. They've got the the loss to Washington, but you know, and they lost to you know to Notre Dame, so they've they've lost to some decent teams. But yeah, I mean, I think the Trojans are kind of sitting there, you know, enjoying this fact that everybody's kind of waiting on the. And quite frankly, the Pac-12 wants this to be Utah, Oregon, the Pac-12 title game. I mean, they want two eleven and one teams, and the winners twelve and one with another top ten win at that point. Suddenly, you got a case for for the. Uh, for the college football playoff, but instead USC's sitting there thinking, all right, we can get our way in there and ruin everything for the Pac-12. And almost reminds, Clay Helton's starting to remind me a little bit of Steve Lavin, who would have these seasons that were disappointing. And early in the season, you're like, oh, he's fired after this year. And then Steve Lavin would find his way into the Sweet 16. And you go, oh, you can't fire him. It's almost, that's what Clay's doing right now. Is, all right, you guys all want to fire me, but what happens if I win this division? What happens if I win this conference and I'm playing in the Rose Bowl? You, you can't fire me after that. All right, well, let's take our last break and then look ahead to Washington State. Hi, Ryan Thorburn here, sports reporter at the Register Guard. I've covered a lot of your favorite sports memories in recent years. Marcus Mariota being presented the Heisman Trophy in New York. Oregon blowing defending national champion Florida State off the field in the Rose Bowl. Sabrina Ionescu becoming the face of women's college basketball while helping transform the Ducks from Pac-12 afterthought to national powerhouse. No other media company covers Oregon athletics with the depth and quality found at DuckSports.com. But in order for the Register Guard to continue its rich history of local journalism, we need your support. Please subscribe and supporter advertisers to help us chronicle the ducks and take you behind the scenes to create more memories in the years to come okay steve uh oregon moved up to number 11 from number 12 after beating washington so they're on the cusp of the top 10 and here comes really their kryptonite uh over these last four years they've lost four in a row to mike leach granted that was three different head coaches on the wrong end of that but um is there any way it's five in a row <laughs> I, I i don't see that happening but i mean this feels to me like a game where you can put 70 up i mean that washington state i know they gave up 10 last week to colorado and suddenly everybody thinks that I mean, washington state players are all saying that they kind of found their groove on defense but this is a team that's already lost its defensive coordinator mid-season they've given up you know what 67 to UCLA in a loss they've been given up you know 38 40 in pretty much every game this is a game where if Oregon at home comes out and, and Herbert hits early this feels to me like this could be 21 nothing after the first quarter and, and Oregon may be able to get this thing up to 70 now that said Washington State may get to 35 on it as well this could be closing in on midnight before it gets done with uh, the passing attack of both these but I think Oregon, you know, we, we know they're going to run. They want to run. But I think this is when they come out and throw quite a bit, knowing early on that, hey, if we can – this isn't a very good defense. If we can kind of quick strike here and get some things, we can kind of get a nice big lead early. So, you know, the scenario where Washington State wins almost feels like one of those four turnover, including a couple return for in, for touchdown type deals. If, if you kind of give them some things and maybe Washington State's hanging around, Oregon gets nervous. But they keep the ball away from Washington State. They don't give it to them. You have any giveaways. I don't see Oregon losing this game. Oregon's depth chart was interesting this week in the fact that they say four different running backs are tied for the lead <laughs> as far as being the starter. I think Cyrus Habibi Lakio's emergence has a lot to do with that. He's set career highs in rushing 
the last three games, uh, 81 yards last week, all in the second half, leaped over a guy, scored a touchdown. I think he's the starting running back now. Uh, C.J. Verdell seems to get nicked up. He's had a great start to his career at Oregon, but there's something different about Cyrus. I think Mario likes that size, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets the start, but we'll see. Yeah, I also would be surprised if he just becomes their closer. If you know last week's kind of what we're going to see. He didn't have a carry in the first half, and the defense is a little worn down going into the second half, and you bring in a fresh, powerful guy like like uh, Habibi Likio. So I could see that as well. I don't know that he, you know, if you start him, I'm not sure that we've seen him in a role where they want to give him 25 carries or something, but maybe you kind of switch Die and, and Verdell with those guys and then bring him in for the second half. Maybe last week wasn't, you know, a matter of, hey, we want to switch things up. It was, hey, a pre-planned idea going in that let's kind of get them worn down on defense and then we'll bring our more powerful guy in fresh for the second half. So with Schooler leaving, you know, as I mentioned, Pittman had a big touchdown last week. Um, Johnny Johnson was solid, 90 yards. Jalen Red just scores touchdowns. But that position that Schooler plays is occupied by Brian Addison. Um, coincidentally, both those guys, Schooler and Addison, each had one catch. They were nice, you know, important catches, but they each had one. So Addison will be a little bit more in the spotlight, and then his backup is Jawan Johnson. Never has so much been written about so little. Uh, when is six foot five Jawan Johnson, you know, gonna emerge here? You know, they, we talked about Breland's absence. Here's a big guy that could go down the middle. It's almost become common. I mean, yesterday when when you know Mario Cristobal says, "Well, you know, I was talking with Jawan afterwards, and it looks like he's finally healthy." It's just. I know Oregon fans just roll their eyes when they see that or hear that because it's sort of like they've been hearing this for six, seven weeks. And, you know, he's been on the field the last couple. In fact, last week, Herbert tried to go deep to him, didn't complete it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if you're looking at, you know, replacing Schooler, certainly that's a guy who can do it. Um, and if he is finally healthy and if, he, you know, I think there's also been some talk that just he kind of missed so much of the terminology and stuff. And, you know, maybe he's a little behind on all that because he was coming in new and then missed so much practice. But you think maybe the last if he's been healthy the last three weeks, you know, to go full in practice, maybe this is the week or the week is coming. But if not, we may be sitting here next week and say, you know, this might just be one of those things where we go to the end of the season saying, when does the big Juwan Johnson moment come? And it never comes. But gosh, if there was ever an opportunity, you'd think one of the outside receivers leaving would certainly open that up. You listened to uh, Mike Leach's press conference this week with reporters, and, you know, he had some great quotes. Uh, Always does. He likes Justin Herbert, but he would take his guy mm -hmm. over Justin. Um, and he uh, kind of poked Mario, or just the program in general. They've taken four different uh, Washington State assistants dating back to uh, Yost, mm -hmm. who joined Helfrich for that last year. Uh, you have Joe Salavea, Maestro, uh, Ken Wilson, and he he's like, do I need to do anything else to help the Oregon out? You know? Yeah, it's really ironic that I mean they keep plucking coaches off, but he keeps beating them. I mean, it's got to just make Mike sit there and laugh, as you know, these guys keep leaving for what looks like greener pastures. You know, hey, better facilities, and you know that's kind of the the place the you know the place that's become kind of a recruiting hotbed, and they get to be part of this and that, and they you know leave little old Pullman for Eugene and kind of the glam of the place, and they probably tell Mike on the way out, sorry, there's just more to opportunity there, so I'm going to go there, and then each year he comes back and keeps plunking them off one after one. Now. Ken Wilson hasn't yet. Ken Wilson's making his debut, but, you know, Mastro lost last year. Salve has lost two. Yost lost one. So now Ken Wilson's the guy who has a chance to break the streak. 
So uh, how do you see this game playing out? You know, Washington State has had their moments this year. I know Houston's not very good, but I I watched that non-conference game. That was a a really entertaining game back when Houston had all of their good players playing instead of in the portal or whatever they're doing down there. Um, You know, this is a team capable of running his offense at a high level. It just seems to me, you know, with Tracy Clays leaving, there's – some issues on defense that's their defensive coordinator who did such a great job last year you know i i see oregon in the 40s and i see you know leach in the high 20s to to low 30s here yeah i got oregon in the 60s i get this thing like 66 31 like i say i feels to me like with that crowd uh you know a night game oregon comes out and kind of throws it they can get up and down the field a couple times in the first quarter get this thing stretched out and you know maybe like i say the 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 over under i'm not sure what the over under is on the score of the game but i think the over under is probably 11:43 for the end of the game time um it's going to be a late one there and uh i i see both teams just kind of throwing it up and throwing it and i think i think it's probably like i say i'll take 66-31 oregon yeah, and you know, last year there was clearly a hangover from Oregon's dramatic 30-27 overtime win over Washington. They were down 27-0 in Pullman. They acted like they'd never heard crowd noise before. Mm-hmm. It was just a, a ridiculous start. Now they, once they settled down, they scored 20 unanswered. But you know, they had to play a perfect second half, and they didn't. I expect them to pick up pick up where they did in that third quarter last year and get off to a strong start this time. Um, so I'll say Oregon 49 and Washington State 28. And, uh, you know, that sets up possibly the biggest hurdle remaining at USC. Yeah, if you look at this as a, you know, if you want to say, oh, coming off a big win, does Oregon have a trap game? If this were Arizona or something like that, I might say so. But it kind of works out nicely for Oregon. It's a team that's beat them four years in a row. Shane Lemieux told you after the game the other day, look, one of his goals coming into this year was, you know, a guy from Yakima, Washington, doesn't want to end his career saying he went 0-5 against the Cougars and live with that up there. So uh, I think there's a lot of guys that feel that way. They they know they got to get one against them. So feels like the mo- I'm sure the motivation's there. I don't think there's any overlooking. Plus, you know, again, just the fact that Washington State brings this kind of quirky offense and always seems to score on everybody, I think, let you know that if you don't play well, you can lose it. So I, I don't see too much problem with Oregon having a kind of a get-up for this game after coming off the big Washington win. All right. Well, stay tuned to DuckSports.com for all of our coverage leading up to and out of Oregon, Washington State, and thanks for tuning in.